Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Rodriguez, for that kind gesture. Um, I like you guys. I like you guys. You guys are a good bunch. I've, I had fun this week, and uh, it's kind of sad that it just flew. I guess time flies when you're having fun. But uh, no, you know, just like leaving night after night, I'm like, they're all right. I like these guys. Uh, we've been uh, tremendously blessed um, yeah, here together as we've been diving into the Word. And hopefully, I have somewhat indirectly communicated something that in order to have revival, it must revolve around this book. Amen? And hopefully, night after night, as we've been diving into the Word, you've kind of caught that. You kind of caught that impression. So it's been a tremendous blessing for me. Fill me our earnest plea. Um, I wish it never end. I'm going to have to invite Pastor Tony to my church, maybe to do a week of prayer at my church. Amen? I may have to, I may have to just do that, so we'll see what happens. How many of you are here for the very first time? Hey, I know you. Good to see you, brother. God bless you. Now, how many of you have been here every single night? Raise your hand. Man, we got we to give you guys something. We're going to give you guys hugs on the way out, okay? You guys get a free hug from Pastor Tony and Pastor Jay. <laughs> Thank you all so much for supporting. Um, I've been really blessed mingling, not only just uh, getting into the Word together, but even the small conversations before and after. Um, I, really, I was really blessed last night, actually, by my brother here, uh, Brother Danny, who uh, actually shared his testimony with me. And I, was, I left here, like, kind of in... In, in the clouds, just thinking, wow, that's quite the testimony. So the interaction, the synergy, just the communication, I've been really, really blessed. And uh, hopefully this won't be the last that we see of each other. The beginning of our week of prayer was entitled what? Fill me, our earnest plea. I know some of the young people were struggling to get that title right a few nights ago. Fill me, our earnest plea. What are the three things that the Bible mentions that humanity tries to fill themselves with all the time? Number one, the east wind, right? Empty knowledge. Number two, arguments against God. Number three, intoxicating drink. Ladies and gentlemen, you combine these three things together and you get a lame life. Amen? So being that God doesn't want you to have a lame life, he provides four different ingredients. Number one, he wants to fill your life with the scroll. He wants to fill your belly with the scroll. Amen? Like he did Ezekiel. So that it could be sweet to your mouth. Number two, he wants to fill your horn with oil and he wants you to go. Number three. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor, Pastor started laughing. Laughter and rejoicing. And number four, peace and joy. Ladies and gentlemen, when you combine these four elements together, you are going to have an exciting Hopefully by the, by the, at this, at this uh, rate in our week of prayer, hopefully this has not just been a theory, but this, these principles you have already applied in your life. That's my prayer. Monday we discovered the spirit and new beginnings, that when your life is full of darkness, when your life is a chaotic situation, when your life is empty, that is when you just qualified yourself for the Spirit of God to do something amazing in your life. Amen? And by the grace of God, none of us find ourselves in this experience. But if you do, there's still good news for you. We also talk about the stinky breath syndrome, right? Remember that? 
the spirit and the breath of God. God has given us an oxygen source in order for us to run the spiritual marathon or the triathlon in order to finish the race. And that oxygen supply is the Word of God. If you spend time every single day in the Word, you will finish the race. It's a guarantee. Amen? We also looked at Ezekiel 16, the little child that was born, helpless child kicking and screaming. The navel wasn't cut. He wasn't washed. Nobody cared, but somebody passed by and whispered a very important word. And that word is live. And that is what Jesus wants to whisper in your ear every morning before you go about your day. He just wants to come next to you and say, live. And remember, when Jesus speaks, things happen. So let him speak into your life. Amen? Tonight, last night, actually last night, for those of you that weren't here, we talked about four leprous men, four apparently helpless, insignificant, good-for-nothing men who just happened to save an entire civilization, an entire empire. Why? Because they realized that they had nothing to lose, and they wanted to live a life of action. Amen? Second Kings chapter 6. Those of you who weren't here can read that when you get home. Tonight... Our message is entitled, Elijah and the End Time Revival. Now, there's a lot to cover, but we're only going to kind of scratch the surface. I think this is a, a good way of bringing closure to the week. Amen? Hopefully, this is not bringing closure to the Spirit working in your life. Amen? We would never want closure on that. But hopefully this will bring closure. It will bring all the elements together in a very compact way. And it's something that I'm actually very passionate about. Um, it, it, one of the things that I am addressing, not only in my own personal life, but even in my local congregation. One of the emphasis, actually, is one of the things we're dealing with this year, which we're going to get into more and more as we continue. Elijah in the end time revival. And uh, before we begin, let's just bow our heads for another word. Father in heaven, we want to know who this Elijah is. We want to know why you want to send Elijah. We want to receive Elijah. We want to be examples. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles, I, hope, I invite you to open it to the last book of the Old Testament, which is the book of Malachi. Malachi. Remember, we're kind of going into places that we never really go to, okay? Um, there's a lot of other places that we could have gone to, but of course, because of our time, we weren't able to. But Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and we're going to go to the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, and we're actually going to look at the last few verses of the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. When you write a long email, or when you write a letter, what is the most important portion of that letter? What is the most affectionate part of that letter, generally speaking? Okay, somebody said your signature. That's true. Kind of like your outro, right? Sincerely, uh, with, with love or um, best regards or whatever, whatever it may be. But usually the last paragraph or the last sentence, the last portion of the letter is the last that you're going to get out of your heart. So usually the last portion of a letter is the most, most touching, the most affectionate, right? 
If this is true, then obviously Malachi, if we want to say that the Old Testament is a gigantic letter, well then obviously the last chapter of the last book of the entire Old Testament, it has to be something very significant. Does that make sense? Because it's signing out. After the verses that we read tonight, it's pretty much, that's it. That's the end of the Old Testament. As they say in Spanish, fin, right? El fin. And that's it. There's no more. So there has to be something very significant. How is God going to wrap up the Old Testament? I mean, that's quite, I mean, that's quite the literary challenge. How do you put your finishing touch on this literary masterpiece called the Old Testament in a way that is sublime, in a way that is profound, in a way that is, is deep, in a way that it is relevant? Amen? So I want you to come with me to Malachi chapter 4. And we're just going to read one verse. Actually, we're going to read two verses. The last two verses, this is the last two verses of the entire Old Testament. When you're there, please say amen. The Bible says, Behold, I will send who? I will send you. Notice, he, it's, a, it's a personal message. He doesn't say, I will send them. No, no, no. no. He says, I will send you, Elijah the prophet. It's kind of weird. And the sentence is Elijah. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's kind of an unusual way to finish a literary masterpiece. Have you ever finished a letter with, <laughs> with this kind of intensity? It's kind of a little bit unusual, would you not say so? Kind of it's like, what is this all about? What's, why this heavy language? Why this somber, kind of uh, you know, sobering intensity? First of all, what in the world is the whole Elijah being sent all about? And why is it relevant to you and I? Who was Elijah? And when did he live? And there's a hand up. Who was Elijah? He was a prophet, right? And when you look at Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and you look at Elijah, where do you find Elijah in the Old Testament? You find him in the Kings, right? You find him in the latter part of 1 Kings and right in the beginning of 2 Kings. That's when he gets translated into heaven, right? So from 1 and 2 Kings to Malachi, you have a very large chunk of time that has taken place, yeah? So when Malachi says, I will send you, well, he's quoting God, really. So when God says, I will send you Elijah the prophet, I mean, Elijah is no stranger. Elijah is one of the, one of the, the most amazing characters in the Old Testament. Why? Because three of the only individuals that have been translated from planet Earth to heaven that have been named, there's more, have been Enoch. Remember him, Genesis? Enoch walked with God and God took him. Amen? Ladies and gentlemen, be very careful when you walk with God. Amen? Be very careful how close you get to the Lord because he might just take you. Amen? Anybody want to be taken? I wouldn't mind for the Lord to take me because it's far better up there than it is down here. All right. Enoch. Who else? Moses. But Moses died and then he was resurrected. Right? And then we have Elijah. Now, the interesting thing about Elijah is that Elijah never died. 
Elijah simply, if you remember the story, he gets on the chariot. You guys remember the story, right? Gets on the chariot, then his servant Elisha has one last request. And he says, give me a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah says, this is a very difficult request that you have asked. And right as he's leaving, he takes his mantle and he throws it down to Elisha, kind of like as a guarantee that his prayer has been answered. Okay? So this is kind of who Elijah is. Elijah came into the scene. He was bringing revival in a time of severe spiritual darkness. The king of Israel at that time, his name was Ahab. Ahab did a boo-boo. Actually, he did several boo-boos. One of the biggest boo-boos that he did is he married a lady who was not a believer in Jehovah God wasn't a believer in the God of the Hebrews amen and the Bible gives us a lot of warnings about being unequally yoked in marriage did you know this so immediately when Ahab married somebody outside of the faith the kingdom was divided and when you study carefully the life of Ahab and Jezebel Ooh, that, that was her name, the Queen Jezebel. Queen Jezebel was the one that was wearing the pants in that relationship. I find that very fascinating. When you study the life of Ahab and Jezebel, you find that Jezebel was the one who called the shots. And Ahab was just simply the puppet. But she was the one that was controlling that puppet. That's a sermon for another time. But this is kind of a foundation because I think there's relevant contemporary things that we're dealing with even when we're talking about this ancient story. Nonetheless, Ahab was adopting a lot of false gods. He was adopting a lot of false practices. And Elijah sends. Whenever there's a time of darkness, God sends a man. Amen? This is a message particularly for the men. When there's darkness, God sends a man. And of course, he sends women too. Of course, Esther was heavily uh, influential in the darkness of Persia. So don't misunderstand, men and women are both used. The point is that God sends somebody to be a voice, to be a mouthpiece, to be somewhat of a spark to spread revival and reformation. So if Elijah lived back then, and in the time of Malachi, he's up in heaven, why is it that Malachi says we're gonna, he's going to send Elijah? Now, do you remember any time in the New Testament where Elijah comes to planet Earth? Ah, no and yes. We got, the crowd is divided. The crowd is divided. Run with me to the book of Matthew. It's just the next book. You're in Malachi? Go to the next book. Hold your finger on Malachi because we're going to come back to Malachi. Or put a pencil or a piece of paper or something. Matthew chapter 17. When in the world did Elijah come to planet earth remember we're talking about elijah and we're talking about god sending elijah what in the world is this all about okay matthew chapter 17 when you're there please say amen matthew 17 is all about the mount of transfiguration it's kind of a big word right what happened in the mount of transfiguration do you remember jesus took three disciples peter james and john he went up the mount and something happened when they were in the peak of the mount there was like this big whirlwind the disciples got scared so they went hiding right and as they were kind of hiding there was two angelic beings that appeared who were those two angelic beings 
Moses and Elijah. What in the world is Moses and Elijah doing? They're supposed to be in heaven, right? Well, if you look carefully, if you study carefully Matthew chapter 17, what it is is a miniature, miniature of the kingdom of God. Why? Because you have Jesus at the center. Amen? And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus always needs to be in the center. Jesus never deserves to be in the margins or in the periphery. He has to be in the nucleus of everything. So he's at the dead center, and then to the left you have Moses, to the right you have Elijah. Why? Because Moses represents those that have died and will be resurrected when Jesus returns, when he comes in the clouds of glory. And Elijah represents the final generation that will never see death. They're going to be translated from this life to the next life. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. 1 Corinthians 15, if you're interested in reading that reference. These are the two different types of redeemed. Amen? One is not any better than the other. Amen? The point is that you need to, you need to get there. Whether you go through the avenue of Moses, some of us will be persecuted. Amen? Some of us will be martyred. Maybe. But there are some of us who will not be martyred. We will continue living through the dark chapters of the last days. And don't be fooled, ladies and gentlemen. The church will go through tribulation. Amen? But what is the, the message of hope? Jesus is going to be right at the center when we go through tribulation. Did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go through tribulation? Yes, who was in the center? It was Jesus. Did Noah and his family go through tribulation? Yes, they went through the flood, but guess what? They were protected by the ark. Did Joseph go through tribulation? Yes, Joseph went to prison, then he was, well, he was falsely accused first, he was sold into slavery, and then he went to prison, but the Lord delivered him and he made his way back to the palace. You guys follow the trend? So the idea there is that God's people will go through tribulation, but we do not need to fret because God is going to reward those that are faithful. Elijah also went through tribulation. So God's people in the last days are going to go through tribulation, and many will be like Elijah who will not see death. They will be translated from this life to that life. And ladies and gentlemen, no disrespect to Moses, I love Moses. But I like to do the Elijah thing. Amen? You guys follow that? I'm more of an Elijah kind of a guy. Yeah? The death thing, that's not really my thing. Okay? Okay. So Elijah is a prominent figure in Old Testament, in the Old Testament mindset of the Hebrews. Elijah was one of the starting lineup. He wasn't a bench player. He was one of the prominent beings because he was redeemed. But in Matthew 17, the Bible tells us that Elijah does come to planet earth well then what happens right after that he goes back to heaven the disciples are confused they says master should we not build three shrines uh, one for you one for moses and one for elijah you know we do that all the time did you know that we always tend to deify people deify servants now yes moses and elijah were spectacular men but they were men and just like Peter, James, and John, we tend to do the same thing in the here and now. We tend to deify people and put people on a pedestal. 
Now jump down to verse Matthew 17 and verse 10. His disciples asked Jesus, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? You see, Elijah, the return of Elijah was something that even the scribes, the Pharisees, would talk about, the leaders in the church. So the disciples are like, what is all that all about? And by the way, one of the prominent pillars of this prophecy of Elijah is the text that we just read in Malachi. Why then do the, the scribes say that Elijah must come first? What is the answer? What does Jesus say? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But, listen to what he says, I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. So Jesus says, this is true, Elijah will come, but Elijah has already come. And they didn't even know that it was Elijah when he came, and they did what they wanted with him, and they killed him. Now, if you read the next verse, then the disciples understood that Jesus spoke to them of John the Baptist, who, by the way, was the, a cousin of Jesus. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. John the Baptist was born first. He started his ministry first. He was paving the way for people to receive the Messiah, which was Christ. So according to Jesus, John the Baptist is somewhat of a fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4. I will send you Elijah. Jesus says, John the Baptist is somewhat of a fulfillment. Now we're going to look deeper into this. Do you remember what the conditions were in Malachi chapter 4. It says, I will send you Elijah the prophet. And then it described the time frame. Do you remember? Run back with me to Malachi. I, I, I don't want to tell you. I want, I want you to see it, okay? Run back to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Here it is. What's the time frame? Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Question. Did John the Baptist arrive before the day of the Lord, which was great and dreadful? Well, let's find out. Run with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. And let's take a look beginning in verse 13. Luke chapter 1 verse 13. This is describing the birth of John the Baptist, which according to what we just saw in Matthew 17, John the Baptist has something to do with fulfilling the prophecy of Elijah. Very simple. Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Talking, talking of John the Baptist. And you will have what? Joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the lord and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink isn't that fascinating the first night of our week of prayer we saw that one of the things that we fill ourselves with is intoxicating drink john the baptist was one that did not fill himself with intoxicating drink i find that kind of interesting anyways moving on <laughs> he will also be 
there's, there's that word, filled with the Holy Spirit. What is the theme of our week of prayer? Fill me our earnest plea. And when we're saying fill me, we're asking the Spirit to take possession of our entire beings. John the Baptist had this experience. Amen? John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also, talking about John the Baptist's ministry, go before him in the spirit and power of who? Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Listen here. To make ready a people, what? Prepared for the Lord. So what was the point of the ministry of John the Baptist? To prepare the people to meet the Lord. When you look carefully at the context of Luke chapter 1 and kind of the environment, the first arrival of Christ to planet Earth was not a dreadful day of the Lord. It was quite the opposite. Gabriel came to, to, to Mary and says, I have a message of joy and gladness. Does that make sense? It wasn't a message of gloom and doom. It was a message of hope. It was a message of gladness. It was a message of joy. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is that when you look at the story of John the Baptist, yes, it is a fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 that Elijah will return. We saw that in Luke chapter 1. We saw that in Matthew chapter 17. But I believe it is a partial fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4. Why? Because John the Baptist did not live in the time frame or in the generation of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What is the great and dreadful day of the Lord? It is the second coming of Christ. Wow. So John the Baptist was raised very similar to Elijah, by the way, to prepare a people for the coming of revival. So John the Baptist prepared the way for the first coming of Christ, but God is going to raise a last day John the Baptist to prepare people for the second coming of Christ. Did you catch that? John the Baptist prepared people for the first coming of Christ. John the Baptist is resting in peace. He was executed. The first coming of Christ took place 2,000 years ago. Hence, the prophecy of Elijah is still pending its fulfillment. Because it needs to be fulfilled before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The great and dreadful day of the Lord has not yet arrived because you and I are still here. And that is referring to the second coming of Christ. So Malachi is saying that before the second coming of Christ, there will be a revival such as there was in the time of John the Baptist, except it's going to prepare people for the second coming of Christ, which is the, it's the big one. Amen? It's the big one. So what's my point? In the last days, God is going to raise an Elijah. It doesn't mean that God literally resurrected or reincarnated Elijah in the body of John the Baptist. Of course not. They're two separate beings. It simply means that John the Baptist kind of fulfilled the role that Elijah had back in the Old Testament. And just like John the Baptist fulfilled the role, in the last day, God will have a people 
who will also fulfill the role of John the Baptist and Elijah. They will restore all things and they will prepare a generation, a world to stand on their feet when the sky splits in two, when the mountains bow, when the rivers stop because they know that the Creator has just approached the atmosphere. The trees are going to somehow bow as well. The animal kingdom, is gonna, they're going to realize, wait a second, there's somebody very special that is, we sense the, the presence of royalty. Amen? We, we sense the presence of kingship. And when the major cities are in ashes, when the great pyramids are in flames and are in ashes, the Eiffel Tower, the Taj Mahal, the Sears Tower, and all of these great monuments that man takes pride and glory in, when all of these things are disintegrated into nothingness, then that's when the king will show his face. And there will be a group of people that will be standing on the mountains. You don't believe me? Read Isaiah 25. And they say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. There will be another group of people, sadly the vast majority, that you could read in Revelation chapter 6, that instead of running to the mountains, they're actually running into the caves. And they say, hide us from him who sits on the throne. For great, for the great day of his wrath is come. And they ask, who shall be able to stand? Two different categories of people in the last days. God wants you to be in the first category. Amen? God wants you to be in Isaiah 25. He wants your loved ones. He wants your co-workers. He wants everybody that you associate yourself with to be committed and to be ready for the second coming of Christ. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. Go back with me to Malachi chapter 4. See, now we have a good idea about what this is all about. Malachi chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. He did this first and second Kings. He did this in the New Testament. And he will do it right before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And ladies and gentlemen, this portion of the prophecy is still pending fulfillment because that day has not yet arrived, but is even at the doors. So the million dollar question is this. What is the sign of Elijah's arrival? What is the, uh, the hint? What is the clue? What is the evidence that Elijah has arrived into the, quote-unquote, the galaxy, approaching the atmosphere of planet Earth, that Elijah has begun this work? What is the, the, the clue? What is the, uh, how, how do we know if Elijah is here or not? Does that mean that the church is going to be packed? Does that mean that every Sabbath we'll be having baptisms? Well, they're already, they're already doing that in some part of the world, right? South America, Africa, they baptize people every, every Sabbath. Amen? Because people are on fire down there. So, so what, is, what is the actual clue? What is the hint? What is the evidence that Elijah the prophet, the second, the, 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 well, actually, I say the third one, after John the Baptist has arrived? 
It doesn't say anything about tons of baptisms. It doesn't say anything about tons of people filling the pews. Although this, this is a wonderful thing. This is a good thing. Notice what the sign is in the following text, verse 6. Verse 5 tells us Elijah the prophet, the prophecy. It also tells us the time frame. He will be coming before the second coming of Christ. Verse 6 tells us the clue or the characteristics that he's arrived. You ready? And Elijah will turn, listen to this, the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Doesn't say anything about baptisms. Doesn't say about the church being packed with people, right? What in the world is this talking about? The hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. You know what he's saying, ladies and gentlemen? He's saying that when Elijah comes to planet Earth to prepare the last generation for the second coming of Christ, the clue that Elijah has arrived is not that the church is going to be packed. It's not that there's going to be baptisms every Sabbath. It's that the homes and the family circles are going to be united. The hearts of the children will be turned to their parents. And the hearts of the parents shall be turned to their children. There is going to be a revival in the home before there's a revival in the church. Ladies and gentlemen, the characteristic in the last days that Elijah the prophet is come is when families circle around their living rooms and they pray every evening for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When families do this in the church, this is a sign that we need to get excited because something is going on. Amen? But as long as Christianity becomes a spectator sport, something that we see, something that we observe, only when we come to the temple... Ladies and gentlemen, we will never fully experience the latter rain outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The last text of the Old Testament, the very last one says that there's going to be a synergy in the family circle. Marriages are going to be off the hook. Amen? Married couples in the last days that are filled with the Spirit, my goodness, it's going to be amazing. Children are going to somehow be obedient and they're going to love to be in the company of their siblings and in the company of their parents. You think to yourself, is this even possible? <laughs> How is this possible? Ladies and gentlemen, remember that spirit who was able to turn that ugly planet into a planet that was very good? That Holy Spirit that was able to fill the void, that was able to put to order the, the chaos in Genesis chapter 1, that was able to lighten the darkness is the same Holy Spirit that can come into your home and work magic. If you let him. When Elijah the prophet comes knocking on your door and when you allow the spirit of revival to take control of you first and foremost and let it channel in your home and you have a home religion, then that's when revival is going to sweep over your home. By the way, many historians have studied the disintegration of civilization in the past ages. And they have concluded 
they have made a connection between the de demoralization of culture, the fall of empires, to the fall of the home circle, the demoralization of family circle, the disintegration of the home. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, what is a home? Is a miniature nation. Did you know that? Is it not? I mean, what is a nation? Is a bunch of homes. <laughs> right? So if you want to affect the entire nation, what do you do? You infiltrate the home. The devil's a clever, the devil is clever, ladies and gentlemen. He gets us at home base. Why? Because at home base, we are at ease. We put our guard down. When we leave our home, we tend to be more paranoid and tend to put the happy face mask on. You know what I'm talking about? When we get home, we take that off and we put our guard down. The devil knows that we're more vulnerable when we are under our roof. So the devil has invaded the home circle. And historians have made this conclusion that when empires have fallen, it is because the home circle has fallen. And ladies and gentlemen, we are not very far from ancient Rome, ancient Greece, or even ancient Medo-Persia. History is repeating itself. When you go into an average home today, what happens? There is no communication. Everybody's in their own world. Did you know that? Everybody's in their own little universe. And it's like you are a hologram. You don't, you're not really there. My mom used to always get mad at us because we would come, come home from school and she, and she would say in her very crazy Caribbean, you know, attitude, she would say, am I painted on the wall? That's what she would say. She would say, acaso yo estoy pintada en la pared? You guys know what I'm talking about? Am I painted on the wall? In other words, she's saying I'm a human being. Hello, how was your day? How did it go to school, Right? We don't even talk anymore. So it's no question why our churches are falling apart, ladies and gentlemen. It's no question why our nation is falling apart. Our culture is falling apart. We don't even have any manners these days. Have you noticed that? We don't even have sensitivity. We don't even have etiquette. Why? It, 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 and Many times we're tempted to point fingers, but really it's, it's, it's the home. It's the home. And by the way, you show me a church who's got a lot of issues. You're showing me a collection of a lot of homes who have a lot of issues. Does that make sense? Because all the issues that are at home, when you come to church, guess what you bring? You bring all of those issues. You may even bring them in a little bit more cosmetically appealing manner. But at the end of the day, they're still issues. Does that, make, does that make sense? And it may manifest itself in the interpersonal relationships of church members. The, the, the need and the greed of being uh, power hungry or hungry for positions. Right? The lack of leadership in a church. You know what, you know what that's a symbol of? Lack of leadership in the home. Everything. And many, many times people want to attack the church. They want to point their finger at the church. And even, Lord have mercy, the pastor. But ladies and gentlemen, it's not the church's fault. 
Amen? We simply bring all of this here. Now, the opposite is just as true. Not only do we bring all of our issues to the church, we bring all of our strengths to the church. But the idea is, if we could destroy all of our issues in the home and magnify all of our strengths, guess what? We're going to have a phenomenal church. Amen? We want to have a church on fire. It doesn't start here in the church. It has to start in your living room. You see, now it gets personal, right? Now we're all involved. Now we're all in a starting lineup. Now all of us are in the trenches of this warfare. Why? Because it affects us personally. And by the way, we, we usually hang out more at home than we do at church. Right? Except if you live in third world countries because I go to church every day. Amen? <laughs> but in America, we spend more time at home. What's the point? The home is the most influential place that you are around. So God, God is a very intelligent God. Did you know that? God says, when Elijah the prophet returns, the sign will be that your homes are going to be on fire. There's going to be a resurrection of sensitivity, of communication, of affection, of love, of caring. And this is going to transmit itself into the church. And it's going to go from the church to the city and eventually to the whole world. God is trying to invade our homes, but Satan is also trying to invade our homes. And ladies and gentlemen, the devil is doing a phenomenal way of invading our homes. Question, what are some things that the devil uses to invade our homes? By the way, you're familiar with the, the Trojan horse story? You guys remember that the, 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 in, in history class or in literature class, the Trojan horse? The devil has a lot of Trojan horses. He sneaks into our home unannounced, undetected. What are some ways that he creeps into our home? Let's get practical. Ooh, you said it. I didn't say that. You said that. It wasn't me. Now, is all is TV is, is all of television junk? No, but most of it. Most of television is, a lot of it is vulgarity. A lot of it is, by the way, a lot of it is mocking the traditional family service. If you look at the sitcoms, if you look at comedy, it's destroying the home circle. It mocks God. It, it's, it's mocking the role of the mother and it's mocking the role of the father. Television is a very, very, very dangerous thing and it's very addictive, isn't it? You sit down just to catch the news, right? And the next thing you know, you're like, where did the time go? Right? Television, you need to put a big question mark. One, I, one, uh, one evangelist, when I, first, when I was first baptized, one of the early evangelists that I, that I encountered said, said something that really disturbed me in a good way. He said, Jay, if you're having difficulty with television, and if you want to know if television is an issue for you, put your Bible on top of the television and put the remote right next to it. And whatever you go for the most. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't need to finish the, the, the story, do I? Okay? That's why we don't have power in our lives. That's why we don't have power in our homes. Because we're listening to low-calorie stuff that has no substance. Meanwhile, the fountain of 
of power. Remember the dynamos thing that we read? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, and he shall give you power. He shall give you dynamite. We need dynamite in our homes. But watching, you know, the sitcoms is not going to do that. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be radical and sensational and say that everything is bad. And, you know, we're all at different walks. All I'm saying is that we need to be very careful. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that you have to. Some people are convicted. Some people get convicted. And there's situations where people take the TV and they throw it away. And if the Spirit of God is leading to, to do that, amen. Amen? But I'm not, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you have to destroy your television. Unless the Spirit of God is convicting you of that, then by all means destroy that thing. In fact, invite us over and we'll celebrate when you destroy the thing. Now, I don't have a television. But there's other things other than television that the devil uses to invade. So I'm not off the hook either. Right? What else did the devil use to infiltrate little Trojan horses into the home? Music? What else? Cell phones. When you see a family around the dinner table and nobody is interacting with each other, they're texting the, their neighbors. They're having a conversation with the neighbors down the street. Something is wrong with this picture. Amen? And ladies and gentlemen, young people, I'm going to defend the young people for a minute. Many, many parents come to me all the time in my church saying, Pastor, oh, my child, he just keeps texting during the service. Oh, I don't know what to do. He doesn't want to read. And if he's not texting, he's sleeping. And I'm like, sister, I'm very aware of this. I see them. I, I have an aerial view at my church, right? Pastor Tony knows what I'm talking about. When you're up here, you see everything. I said, sister, I know exactly what your son does. I see him every Sabbath here, and I see him. What can we do? What can we do? And I say, sister, and, and, and I get very bothered at sometimes when parents put unrealistic expectations on their, on, their, on their children. I say, sister, how much time do you spend with your children during the week in prayer? How much time do you spend reading the Word? Have you visited anybody in your complex and given them tracts or anything? Have you said, hey, we want to pray with you? Have you taken your children with them? No. So, you, so you're telling me you spend zero minutes in prayer together as a family during the week. Then you come to church and all of a sudden you expect your children to be angels. As soon as they walk through the door, they have to grow a halo and their wings and they have to float. Does anybody else have a problem with this? That's unrealistic. Now, as a preacher, yes, and Pastor Tony, will, will, I'm sure, would agree with me. It is a little bit kind of, kind of bugs you that somebody's, you know, in a different world, texting or sleeping. But at the same time, I can't put unrealistic expectation on a teenager who's not being trained at home during the week to come to church and expect him to be a Bible scholar. And then parents put their children in uncomfortable situation and they embarrass their youth. Why, why aren't you reading the Bible? Well, wait a second. Mom, <laughs> Dad, how come you're not reading the Bible to me at home? Young people, you need to put, seriously, the youth here in this church need to be accountable to their parents. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, I'm not bringing the morale low on, on Sabbath morning and on church services. We need to spend time in the work. But you got to train your young people. They're not just magically by walking through the doors. You can't expect them to, to run a marathon if you guys haven't even jogged together. Spiritually speaking. Does that make sense? 
So this is the point. The home is the foundation for everything. The home, the home, the home. This year, our theme at Cambrian Park Church, Alex knows, is preparing your home for the second coming of Christ. Because I, I think, I'm getting more and more convinced that if we could get our homes in order, actually, that's, that's what the Bible says. Run with me to Timothy. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. I just, I just might as well just show you. Amen? Why tell you in my words when I could just show you in Scripture? Okay, here we go. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to a leader in the church. And we'll leave it at that. And there's a lot of leaders in the church here. And maybe you're not a leader in the church, but you're a member. You're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a leader. Chapter 3. Paul asks Timothy a very disturbing question. But it's a very important one that I think all of us should ask ourselves. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Are we there? Notice what verse 4 says. Now granted, the context is talking about an overseer and a bishop, but I think it bleeds over into every other different position. Talking about one who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Okay? For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? You see that? So what is the training ground in order to do things good in the church? If I can't do home runs at my home, how am I expected to do a home run at the church? You guys follow that? That's the issue. Now notice verse 4. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Usually when we think of reverence, we think of what? The sanctuary. We think of sanctuary behavior etiquette when we come to church. And by all means, we need to be reverent. But notice the context is not the church. What is the context? The home. Who rules his house well. His children in reverence. Why are children so irreverent? Because you haven't taught them to be reverent in the home. How, how is it going to be possible for them to be reverent when they're watching vulgarity and they're laughing about the vulgarity and then they come to church and they hear a message that is sober, that is straightforward, you can't expect them to say, Hallelujah! You haven't, you haven't nurtured their taste buds. Amen? You haven't nurtured their taste buds. That's why our children are the way they are. Does that make sense? Malachi chapter 4 is clear, ladies and gentlemen. When Elijah the prophet comes to San Jose, and by the way, Elijah the prophet is already here. I believe that the end time Elijah that's going to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ is not a person, but it's a group of people. And in my opinion, my humble opinion, it is the worldwide Seventh-day Adventist church. This is the last voice that God has. Did you know that? This is the last voice that God has before everything is over. And we are here. We are here because we need to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ. But how does, what is the characteristics? The hearts of the children and the hearts of the fathers need to be united. By the way, I want to share some quotes with you. I read this. I was, on a, I was in a train. I was in Europe last year. And I was in a train and I just went, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Okay, this was written by a little old lady who I happen to really enjoy her books. Her name is Ellen G. White. Has anybody heard of Ellen G. White before? Any Ellen G. White fans out there? 
Okay. Notice. Quote. One well-ordered, well-disciplined family tells more in behalf of Christianity than all the sermons that can be preached. I'm going to read that one more time. Just because I really like it. One well-ordered, well-disciplined family tells more in behalf of Christianity than all the sermons that can be preached. Such a family gives evidence that the parents have been successful in following God's directions and that their children will serve Him in the church. You want to be influential to San Jose? By all means, let's have good preaching. By all means. But the best preaching is when you invite people into your home and they taste a little bit of heaven in your home. By the way, I, 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 those of you who are here Wednesday night, I am proof that when a home is full of the Spirit, it can rescue six young people who are into craziness. Amen? I'm a product of this. The reason why I'm here is because I went into the wrong home. Okay? I went to a home full of the love of God and the Spirit. And look at me now. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what happened. How did I get here? What am I doing here? Second quote, the greatest evidence, listen, the greatest, not a good evidence. I mean, listen to the, the claim here. The greatest evidence of the power of Christianity that can be presented to the world, I mean, wow, is a well-ordered, well-disciplined family. Could you believe that? The great, I mean, could it really? Is she exaggerating? The greatest evidence of the power of Christianity that can be presented to the world is a well-ordered, well-disciplined family. This will recommend truth as nothing else can, for it is a living witness of its practical power upon the hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, if you forget everything that I said, we got to get our homes in order. If we get our homes in order, our churches will be in order. And if our churches are in order, our cities will be in order. And I believe our influence will be greater and we will fill more people in the kingdom of God. Two more Bible texts and I'm done. Run with me to the book of Acts. It will be impossible for us not to even look at something that has to do with the day of Pentecost. Amen? After all, that is, that is kind of like the, the, the greatest manifestation of the outpouring of the Spirit that we have in Scripture. Which, by the way, when the latter rain falls, is going to be way more powerful than the day of Pentecost. I don't have time to get into that particular issue there, but if you think Pentecost is awesome, wait for the latter rain. Acts chapter 2, when you're there, please say amen. When the day of Pentecost, verse 1, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Remember that? Wind, air, breath. And it filled the whole church where they were sitting. Is that what it says? It filled the whole chapel where they were sitting. Is that what it says? It filled the whole temple. It filled the whole synagogue. It filled the whole congregation. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Wait a second. Wait a minute. Preacher, are you saying that the great Pentecostal outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts didn't happen in a church, but it happened in a house? I mean, that's what we read. Amen? God wants to 
pour the spirit of Pentecost in your home. Yes, he wants to do this in the church, but the way he does it in the church is by doing it in your home. Because your church is a percentage of this church. And if every home represented in a church is full of the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? The whole church is full of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Acts chapter 2 verse 1 shows us that Pentecost took place in a living room. It didn't happen in a sanctuary. And that's why the apostles were able to, according to later on in the book of Acts, turn the world upside down. Keep reading in the book of Acts and you'll find that they were able to turn the world upside down. I think the time has come for San Jose to be turned upside down. And I think the power lies in the Lord doing something in your own home. And if God does something in your own home, he's going to do something in your neighborhood. And eventually that's going to trickle and is going to spread. And all of our homes are somehow are going to be interconnected. And we're going to blanket this entire city and we're going to see revival and reformation. Amen? The point. Fill me our earnest plea. It's not only fill me, it's fill my home our earnest plea. Amen? Fill my family, fill my children. Fill us with wisdom to know what contents we should watch on TV. Fill us with wisdom to know what radio station we should listen to. Fill us with wisdom to know what movies we should rent. Amen? Fill us with wisdom to know what uh, entertainment we participate in. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not proposing to you all that we need to become hermits and go to the mountains. I'm not proposing that to you all. What I am proposing is that we need the Holy Spirit to teach us to make better choices and better decisions as to what movies we watch, what sitcoms we watch, and what websites we go to. Amen? And how long we spend in those websites and in those TV stations. Amen? Our last verse. The book of Joshua. This will be the grand finale of our week of prayer. Joshua chapter 24. And my prayer is that this Bible text may not only be a Bible text, it may be the experience of your life. Okay? It may be an experience of your life. Joshua chapter 24, the last chapter of the book of Joshua. When you're there, please say amen. Beginning in verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Chapter 24, verse 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my, doesn't say church, me and my tabernacle, me and my camp meeting, <laughs> me and my house we will serve the lord what does joshua say joshua lived in a wicked environment do you live in a wicked environment yes or no yes are we surrounded by wickedness and paganism in our neighborhoods yes does that mean that we have to do exactly what everybody else is doing no joshua says you guys can do whatever you guys want at the end of the day as for me and my house we're going to serve the lord joshua understood that as a father and as a husband, he had certain responsibilities. By the way, you know the word husband comes from the word house 
band. Did you know that? The husband is, forgive me for the analogy, is the only thing that I could, come, that I could think of right now. Please forgive me. I'm going to use it. Hopefully, I don't, I don't offend anybody. The husband is like the bouncer for the home. I know, it's a terrible analogy. Forgive me. It's the only thing that came to my mind. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, amen? Every home needs a bouncer, and that bouncer is the father. The father needs to be the priest in the home. What does the priest do? The priest analyzes what ideas, philosophies, and attitudes are permitted to enter into the home. Because the home, by the way, if the husband is the priest of the home, where do priests usually hang out? In the sanctuary, which is what kind of a place? It's a holy place. So priests usually hang out in holy places. If the husband is the priest of the home, then what is the home? The home is a sacred and holy place. Wow. Next time you go home, tonight when you go home. Next time you go home. Tonight when you go home. Hopefully you're going to go home tonight, amen? Some of us are going to be afraid to go home after this message. Like we're going to drive. No, Lord, I need to go visit my cousin. <laughs> Can I spend the night at your... No, no. We need to go to our homes, ladies and gentlemen. But when you go to our homes, when you go to your home, follow the admonition that God gave to Moses. Take your shoes off of your feet because you are standing on holy ground. Ladies and gentlemen, if our fathers, I didn't grow up with a father, but if, if, our, if, if we who live in the home would treat the home as a sacred ground, we would be living in a very different we would be living in a very different world. I wonder if today there is a person that is here tonight that recognizes that their homes need to be in order. They've realized that fill me our earnest plea is a little bit more broader than just me. It requires the home circle. And you recognize, wow, I want this characteristic of the presence of Elijah the prophet. I want my home to be proof that Elijah is in San Jose. I want the children, the fathers, to come together. Or maybe you don't have any children. We were like, man, preacher, I don't have any kids. What do you? <laughs> preacher, I'm not married. That's fine. Maybe you have roommates. Amen. Maybe you need to be an example. Maybe you live alone. Maybe you need to be more careful of the things that you, the the things that you bring into your home. This is not exclusive to families exclusively. It's the home circle. It is the home circle. If you feel and sense that your home needs to be in order, and you want God to restore all things, as, as Malachi chapter 4 says, but you want Him to begin it in your home, so that when you leave your home, you could bring a little bit of that revival to work. And you're going to be just a contagious Christian. Everybody's going to be like, man, what is it about this person? They're just so special. Then when you come to church, it's just going to be like, wow. And if you have, by the way, that's why the Sabbath is supposed to be so special. is because it's supposed to be the dessert of the week. Where all the members come and they're all on fire and excited. They're like, oh, what have you been studying? Oh, my goodness. Tuesday, I studied this with little Billy, five years old. That's what, that's what Sabbath is supposed to be like, but it isn't. And I think we need to lift the standard up. Gone are the days where we blame the church for our failures. Those days are over. Gone are the days where we blame the pastor 
because of the things that are going on in my home. At the end of the day, you are the pastor of your own home. Amen? Pastor is the pastor of the church, and he's there, of course, for counsel, for assistance, and for guidance. But at the end of the day, we all have a little responsibility in our homes. You have a certain influence that we, we don't have because we don't live there. If you recognize that your homes need to be revived, and if your prayer is, fill my home, our earnest plea, and if you want the hearts of the children to turn to the hearts of the Father and the hearts of the Father to the children, and possibly you're the only Christian in your home, that happens many times. Possibly your spouse is not a believer. Ladies and gentlemen, when, you're, when the Spirit of God moves in a home, there are many cases where the unbelieving spouse becomes a believer. It's possible. Not easy, but it's possible. And if this is something that you feel and you're like, you know what? Something needs to happen in my home. I want to invite you to stand with you. I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you want your home to be resurrected, if you want the dead bones in your living room, those of you who are here for that message know what I'm talking about. If you want the dead bones to be revived, if you want the breath of God, the sweet breath, to be blowing every single day in the living room, if the Spirit of God was able to turn planet Earth, which was disorderly and out of control and chaotic, can He change a home that's out of control and chaotic? Of course. Planet versus a home. Home is severely minute compared to an entire planet. The Holy Spirit is a professional of putting things in order. And the Spirit of God wants to come to your home. And He doesn't just want to come for a visit. He wants to move in. Amen? He doesn't want to be a guest. He wants to be a resident. And tonight I believe something... Powerful is going to take place in San Jose. And by the grace of God, this commitment only will intensify as the year progresses. It's a new year, new challenges, new difficulties, new victories, new blessings. Fill me, our earnest plea. I want to invite Pastor Tony Rodriguez to come up and to have our closing pastoral prayer over the congregation so that he can seal all of the decisions and all of the commitments that were made. And by the grace of God, we're going to see change even now. Pastor. Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are our Father. And you show us what your love is all about. You show us what your divine will for our lives is. We praise you because nothing's impossible for you. No matter where we are in our lives right now, no matter what state our families are in. You can make all things new. Thank you because your word promises us that you who began a good work in our lives, you will finish it. And so we trust in you. We recognize that tonight we are weak, but you are strong. And so we ask for your spirit and plead for your spirit to fill us and to move us and direct us because we do not know which way to go. There's burdens on our shoulders that only you can lift. There's doubts that only you can change into hopes. And we praise you because we know that tonight you've called us to move forward and we're moving forward. 
We're moving forward with you. We're moving forward with a willing heart to consistently surrender to you. We ask, O oh Father, that you'll bless us as a congregation, as a church family, as a world church, as we prepare to receive you in the clouds. We grant you permission to make us into the Elijah that you've called us to be. We ask that if there's anything in the way that is impeding this from coming to fruition, convict us and move us so that us in our own homes, we can serve you. May our homes be lights in our neighborhood. May our homes be a place where your spirit dwells. May our homes be safe. May you reunite husband and spouse. May you reunite parent and child. May you reunite member with member. May you reunite member with pastor. May you reunite church with our community. May this year, may tonight, be a glimpse of what will happen this year as you move our church. Bless Pastor Rosario as you've called him to do a, a mighty work this week. We also ask your blessing on his father. Touch his father and do your holy and good will in his life, for you do all things well. Thank you for the great things that you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you have heard all week, if you have a prayer request, something on your heart that you would like to have pr prayer over, please come towards the front and we will have prayer for you. Uh, but isn't it a blessing?